Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only Internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they are natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments, so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Today's topic is all about fermented foods for better digestive health. I'm so very excited about today's show because my special guest is Dr. Carolyn Griffin. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Carolyn Griffin is a chiropractor and certified fermentationist. She created My Cultured Life, which is a learning source to teach people how to make fermented foods and beverages on their own. This is where she shares what's brewing in her kitchen and easy ways for you to do the same. Fermented foods and beverages are the best way to get your daily dose of a variety of healthy probiotics. Dr. Carolyn Griffin, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Thank you for having me. So for those listeners out there that have never heard of fermentation, can you just start by simply explaining what is fermentation and why should we be eating fermented foods? Sure. So fermentation. Fermentation is nothing new. It's actually been around for thousands of years. Uh, It's just recently started to make a comeback. It's basically a natural process of preserving food. Um, When food is exposed to bacteria and yeast, the the microorganisms then convert the sugars to lactic acid. That's lactofermentation. And that's basically how, when it creates an acidic environment, that's how the food is not going to rot or spoil. It actually preserves it. So it's an old uh, way that people used to preserve food before there was, ferment, uh, not fermentation, but uh, refrigeration. And um, so it's been around for a long time. And like I said, it's just recently started to make a comeback. It's something where, you know, people are starting to do it more in their home and in their kitchen. And I just want to show people how easy it is and that they should be doing it too. So why do you think this is making a comeback? You know, I really feel like people like you uh, promoting healthy information for people to uh, utilize in their own uh, health and and well-being. I think people are reaching for information, researching more information, and realizing that they really need to be their own advocate. They really need to um, ask more questions and not just go to the doctor and, and they say, okay, this is what's wrong, take this pill. I think people are now realizing that there's more to health than just what's in a bottle. And so when um, with, when it comes to probiotics and fermentation, that is a healthy way of getting probiotics into your system, which is going to help your gut heal. And we can talk more about that um, uh, since we already know that 70% of your immune system is in your gut. So if you're eating foods that are going to be healthier for you and you start to heal that, a lot of other conditions that people may be suffering with are going to resolve. Yeah, so let's talk about probiotic supplements versus fermented foods. Yeah. 
There's a big difference. Um, uh, I'm not 100% against probiotic supplements. I just think there is a difference. Um, when it comes to probiotic supplements, you know, a lot of times just going through that process of creating the probiotic and, and isolating the bacteria to put it in a capsule, um, a lot can die. These probiotics are live bacteria. They're live organisms. And the best source is going to be from fermented foods because you're going to create it. You know, let's talk sauerkraut just for an easy example. You know, you're going to um, create, make, once you make that sauerkraut, there's a lot that's going through that process. There's a lot of different bacteria. And at the, the end result is it's loaded. It's loaded with probiotics, bacteria, um, enzymes, you know, vitamins, all kinds of things. And that's a great source. When you're talking about a supplement, you know, there's a lot that can go wrong. And it's not really um, uh, monitored by the FDA. It's not that cl closely monitored. So it can lose a lot of its value. And you really need to learn how to read labels when it comes to probiotic supplements. Like, you know, how many strains of bacteria are in that particular bottle? How many, you know, billions of CFUs are in that, you know, colony forming units, which is the number of viable bacterial cells. So, you know, are you getting a, bac uh, a probiotic supplement that is not much better than yogurt? Or are you getting something that's more superior quality? And how was that actually made? So there's a, it's a more question there's more of a question mark behind a probiotic supplement versus a fermented food. And when it comes to gut health, we really want to have a wide diversity of the bacteria that live in us. Right. We really do. Um, and that's what's really important. There, that's what we're finding. Uh, the research is now showing that the more diverse, the better. Um, that's why we're finding people that are in third world countries versus Western civilization. They don't have the same health issues that we do. There's not a whole lot of autoimmune diseases going on in third world countries like there are in Western civilization. So that's things, those are things that we definitely need to look at. And one of the reasons why is the diversity. We tend to live in a very sterilized environment um, in Western civilization. You know, we have hand sanitizers. Kids are playing inside on the Xbox as opposed to, you know, making mud pies or, you know, gardening. You know, there's so many different ways that you can be exposed to these good bacteria. Um, parents are, new parents are wanting to get rid of their pets because of if they're having a new baby because they don't want their baby to be exposed. And we're finding now that's actually a good thing. Dirt, dust, and dander should be our friend and is our friend, but we tend to eliminate all of that. And that's, that's causing a lot of issues for a lot of folks um, in Western civilized countries. So over the last several decades, we've seen more cases of autoimmune diseases, more people dying of cancer every day, more people with neurological diseases like Alzheimer's, dementia, and Parkinson's, more people are suffering with digestive disorders like lactose intolerance, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, and people are on a lot of antidepressant medication, and more and more people are popping antacids like candy. And so as a result of all of these things, you would think that, you know, being uh, that we have 50% of, we take 50% of the medications on the market, yet we're the 37th healthiest country, at least in the U.S. And so we're not very healthy, but as a result of that, a lot of it has to do with our lifestyle and what we're doing to our gut. So do you happen to know what research has been done regarding fermented foods? You know, I think... There, I don't know about all the research that's been done. I will tell you there is a difference between fermentation and, say, canning or pickling. Um, the, the biggest difference that we know is that when you're heating something, because people are like, what's the difference with fermentation and 
Um, one second. There we go. Uh, the thing is, when you, the people are most concerned about botulism, and they think, well, I don't want to eat that because it's going to make me sick. And um, the truth is, botulism, that organism, cannot survive in an acidic environment. It's actually something that will, uh, the, the botulism cannot grow. Whereas in fermentation, it's a very acidic environment, so the botulism is not going to survive. And so fermentation can actually be a little bit more safer than, say, even canning. So that is some of the, uh, the research that is out there. Okay, fantastic. So can you give us some examples of fermented foods? Sure. So kefir is one. Um, a lot of folks uh, don't know what kefir is. Many do, but um, it's actually been a, another thing that's been around for a long time. Um, kefir is a fermented milk product. It's the consistency of drinkable yogurt, and it's actually considered the champagne of milk. It's, it's loaded with probiotics. In fact, there's like Whereas in yogurt, there might be like 7 to 10 different strains of bacteria. There's like 36 to 50 um, in kefir alone. And um, there's, a lo- there's probably about in about a cup of kefir, there's about 36 uh, billion CFUs. So in just a small amount of kefir, homemade kefir, you can load your gut with great amount of probiotics. And the main difference between, say, because I brought up yogurt, yogurt and kefir is where we know yogurt will feed the good bacteria that's already in your gut, kefir will actually colonize. So that is one thing that can really help um, someone heal. Uh, it, it can help regulate your blood pressure, your blood sugar. It's 99% lactose-free. So people that are lactose intolerant can actually benefit from this. And so that's one. Um, kombucha is another. It's a fermented tea. Um, It's a great liver detoxer, loaded with vitamin B. Um, But what's really cool about kombucha is it actually contains a yeast. uh, It's called Saccharomyces boulardii. And that is a uh, yeast that's found in kombucha that actually is antibiotic resistant. And so if you were in the hospital and you were given antibiotics, you would actually be given uh, this probiotic called Floristore, that's the, the name brand, and that actually contains S. boulardii, and that is a bacteria or yeast that's actually found in kombucha. So that's something that's super great to know as well. Um, and of course, fermented foods like sauerkraut and other cultured foods that you can make um, by creating a brine and or immersing it in water, that is the brine. Cabbage is, or sauerkraut is one where it actually creates its own brine. So it's really a great way to load your body with um, good bacteria, eliminate the bad. You know, once you load your your gut up, it's going to push out the bad, and your body's going to thrive as a result. So, if we can go back to <clears throat> if we can go back to kefir and kombucha, yeah. So, when we go to their grocery store now, we see on the shelf bottles and bottles and bottles of kombucha, and we also see kefir in the um, around the yogurt section. Mm-hmm. So, what can you talk about the difference? between buying something at the grocery store versus making it at home? Sure. It's very similar to buying a probiotic supplement versus making a fermented food at home. Um, it's that, you know, the making, the making it in a manufacturer uh, plant, like let's say kefir that's being made, it's going to have to be bottled. It's going to have to then have 
you know, be tra uh, travel to where it, the store it's going to be sitting on the shelf for a while. Who knows how long it's going to be there? It's going to lose some of its effectiveness the longer it sits. So, um, and the other thing is, if you notice a lot of times with um, kefir, it comes in different flavors as well. You've got plain, strawberry, blueberry are the most common. And most people aren't just going to pick the plain kefir and drink it because it's quite tart. Again, that the kefir grains, they, it, it ends up eating the lactose or the milk sugars. And so the end product is quite tart. It's sour. And so that's the reason why you might add fruit like strawberries or blueberries, which will make it more palatable or a bit sweeter. And so if you're buying that, for example, uh, strawberry kefir off the shelf versus making it on your own, you're not really in control of the sugar content. So it could be loaded with more sugar than you really want. So even though you're getting some great probiotics, you're still getting a lot more sugar than maybe you want to actually t ingest. So if our listeners out there are interested in making their own kefir, what do they need to know? What they need to know is it's super easy. Kefir is the best way to start. If you're going to want to ferment anything at home, that's where I would start. That's how I started. And you really can't mess it up. Kefir is one of those things where, again, it's been around for a long time. Um, legend has it that Mohammed got kefir grains um, from well, from God or the Orthodox people and taught them how to make kefir. And it's actually considered a sacred food. And it is, um, that's why they call it the grains of the prophet. And so it's really a healthful drink. But what they need are kefir grains and um, uh, cow's milk or sheep's milk or goat's milk. You can have anything that has lactose, just not a nut milk. It's got to actually be from an animal at this point. And the kefir grains will uh, ferment. You sit it uh, on a countertop for about 24 hours, and it'll ferment during that time. And uh, you strain out the grains, and you literally have a fresh quart of kefir that you can flavor however you want. You don't have to, but you can. And on the website, I've got several recipes. You can go online and look. It's all over the place now of ways you can um flavor it and it, it's really health, healthy for you and it's a great way to start. And so then because the lactose is being digested and broken down, I would say most people, even if they have lactose intolerance, should be able to tolerate kefir? They can actually because uh, the end, because the kefir grains actually eat most of the sugar, um, kefir is actually about 99% lactose free. And what's interesting is because uh, it's a live organism and when you're drinking it, there's a lot of good bacteria that are still alive. If you have gut issues or lactose intolerance by drinking kefir, what we're finding is that most people with that, that have issues drinking cow's milk or milk products will actually, their symptoms will start to resolve. So kefir is one of the things where it's still made from milk, but you can still do it even if you're lactose intolerant. Now, I will say this, if you have a casein sensitivity and it's not lactose intolerance, and that's the milk protein, that is not broken down during the fermentation process. So if it's more of a casein sensitivity, you might not be able to do milk kefir, but you can then use the grains, put it in a nut milk, say, for example, coconut milk, and you can get some of the benefits that way. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because I had that thought that if you do react to kefir, it's probably one of the other milk proteins that you're reacting to. Yeah, exactly. And and we I've had some patients where that was the situation where they're like, I still, it just doesn't feel right. I'm like, you know, you probably have a casein sensitivity. 
So um, I have always recommended that they can do coconut milk or almond milk or any of those, but you can do several batches, put the grains in the coconut milk and you can make several batches that way. However, because the kefir grains are a live organism and they feed off lactose, in order to keep your grains alive, you'll still need to put it back in cow's milk to get them revitalized. And then you can start going back to making the other batches again. So fermented foods in a way is like taking care of a plant. You always have to be watching it. It's like having a pet, for sure. (laughs) It's like having a pet. Yeah. So so if you don't have a green thumb, Mm -hmm. you still might be able to make fermented foods. Yes, I have several friends who I've got started on this journey and helped them out. And the first round, you might not succeed. But after that, once you get the hang of it and once you get it more into your routine, it's more of a routine situation like, okay, I've got to now change out the the milk and I need to strain the grains. I need to refeed these grains. Then it's easy. Um, But it's more of getting that, you know, kind of making it more top of mind as opposed to letting it just forget about it and sit, letting it sit and forget about it. And then the uh, kefir grains don't survive. And there's only two ways to kill the kefir grains. It's um, heat and starvation. So if you don't refeed the grains, yes, they will die. Yeah, because as you said, they'll digest all of the lactose and then they'll have nothing to eat. Exactly. <clears throat> so what's your favorite way to use kefir? You know, I right now, um, I actually like turning it into a salad dressing. And it's not necessarily as thick as ranch, but you can make it taste like it, which is pretty interesting. So what you do is the end product, again, is plain kefir, and you can flavor it however you want. One of the things I like to do for the second ferment is put like a basil leaf and um, a garlic clove in there. Let it sit on the countertop for another few hours and then put it in the refrigerator and within, you know, 12 hours or another 24, however long you want to just wait, if you just smell it, it creates a, an amazing base for a salad dressing. And then you can add whatever else you want. And so I've done that. I, and if you don't have basil, you can do dill. You can just be very creative and make whatever you want. But it's delicious. Sounds very yummy. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, so let's switch gears and talk about kombucha. How do we make kombucha? What do we need to know about that? So it's slightly more complicated only because of the bottling process, but it's actually simple as well. Um, All you need is sweet black tea. And you can use many different types of tea, but traditionally black tea is what's used. Um, So I would do black tea with sugar. Once you put that in a vessel, glass vessel, there's no metal that's around this. Um, You put that in, you put a SCOBY, and a SCOBY is for kombucha looks like um, a round, thick disc. And it's basically uh, stands for uh, um, symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast. And that will just go into the sweet tea with a little bit of starter fluid. So that would be like um, from the last batch. Or if you're buying it, you would just use that from uh, whoever shared the SCOBY with you. And then from there, you let it sit. It could go for 7 to 14 days, maybe longer, depending on the temperature of your home. And voila, end product is kombucha. And you could just bottle it the way it is, making it you know plain kombucha. Or you can flavor it, which is the most common and most fun, actually. And my favorite right now is lemon ginger. And you just bottle the lemon ginger with a little bit of sugar so the uh, kombucha has a, something to second ferment on or to, to feed on. 
and that will create more of the gas for it to uh, become more effervescent. And then you let that uh, second ferment for two to three days, and then you refrigerate it, and that's it. So you can make with the, I mean, you mentioned the grocery stores are loaded with many, many different brands of kombucha these days, and they're expensive. That's like, what, three to five bottles or dollars a bottle? And you can bottle up in two gallons of kombucha that I usually make for each batch. I can fill um, like, well, that's two gallons. It's like, I don't know, 13, 16 ounce bottles, something like that. And I, it can last my family, you know, a week or two, and depending on how much we drink. And so that's something that's more cost effective because you're literally just buying tea bags at that point. You know what I mean? That's it. And um, it's super fun and easy. And so then is that kombucha, is that only Saccharomyces boulardii or are there other probiotics oh, in it? Yes, yes. There's a lot more. There's, that's one yeast, but there's a lot of different types of bacteria um, that are in kombucha. And, but I just wanted to bring out that superstar because it's um, pretty important to know that, you know, if you are on antibiotics, that's one thing that you can drink that can actually help as well. That's bacteria or sorry, antibiotic resistant. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So <clears throat> you said your favorite flavor of kombucha right now is lemon and ginger. Yes. Is that what you said? Yes. Lemon and ginger. Really great for your gut. Like even if you have an upset tummy, um, and you were to drink this particular kombucha blend, it can help immensely. I've had several, um, I've had friends and coworkers and um, even family members where they've had an upset stomach and I've like drink this and it normally where they'd be sick for, you know, on, having to go to the restroom several times, it would actually help eliminate that urge and it, they'd actually felt a lot better. So, I heard that kombucha has some alcohol in it. Is that it correct? Does. It does. So it depends on how long it ferments. So that's the interesting thing about um, kombucha is, um, are you going to slap on a nutritional label or are you going to slap on a warning label for pregnant women? Um, so it's one of these things where you would have to get that tested and, and how much alcohol does it have. So it really depends on how long it brews. It, it goes through the brewing process and it can, some of the byproduct is, but it's not truly, it's not enough to be a concern at all. Um, and, and, but it's, you know, your discretion, if that's something where it's your philosophy is, this is not something I want at all, then certainly you can just turn away kombucha. That's not a problem. And so how do you talk to your patients? Yeah. That are pregnant or, um, that are thinking of using kombucha with their kids. So when it comes to pregnant women, um, I just like to err on the side of caution and just say, you know what, this might not be the best thing for you um, at all. And because you can get your probiotics in other forms, you can drink kefir, you can eat sauerkraut, there's other things you can do. Um, So I just err on the side of caution. There are some people where they give their kids kombucha and mine are now teenagers and they drink it. But we I don't let it brew to the point where it's going to be. going more into the alcohol side it's a little bit more on the healthful side so it's but i don't i don't also send it to a lab so i don't know exactly where it is i mean you it's really a science project you know what i mean it's like you have a science project brewing in your kitchen so but yeah it's one of these things where it's up to you and your discretion i drink it i don't feel any effects from it i don't feel like there's you know there's no buzz going on at at all so then let's switch gears and let's talk about fermented vegetables sure 
Fermented vegetables, I think, are one of the best ways to get your vegetables in. You're, it's almost like killing two birds with one stone. If you're going to eat, you might as well eat something that's going to be amazing. Um, so, like, sauerkraut is one of the best. I mean, two ingredients. You're literally cabbage and salt and a little bit of elbow grease as far as massaging the cabbage to the point where it creates its own brine. And you let it sit for six days. And at the end, you've got an amazing food that is going to be so good for you and you can have a couple forkfuls a day and that's going to serve you well and it tastes just amazing so you know side dish of you know you might have i don't know chicken or steak or whatever your protein would be um if you're obviously not vegan and you can have um a quarter cup of sauerkraut you know so that's something that you could do um the other things that I like to do besides sauerkraut, I love fermenting garlic and turmeric and um, ginger and using that as a way to uh, not only do they have their own healthful um, uh, ways about them, the foods are healthy in, in and of itself, but when you ferment it, it's like it 10Xs it the way I see it. And so you can add these other things to your foods or salads or, and whatnot and just really um, take it to the next level. So we're starting to run low on time. Is there anything else that we've not talked about yet that you think is important for our listeners to know or to understand when it comes to fermented foods? I do. There's The one thing I do want to say is even though it's fermentation and fermented foods are one of the best things that you can do, if you have gut issues, I would be very cautious about incorporating that right away because if you have something called SIBO, um, small intestine um, bacterial overgrowth, you can actually flare yourself up if you start with that. So there is, it's definitely a procedure. I've actually created a course called the five R's of healing leaky gut. And it talks about the exact ways and process of how to go through um, healing your gut if you do have any issues. And fermentation is actually the last phase. And so um, there's more information that will be on my website as far as that goes. So I know we're out of time. Maybe another time we can talk about it. Um, but they can definitely go to my website when that gut health course is released. They can go ahead and check it out. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I have seen that in practice. Patients come sure. in and they're like, I feel awful when I take probiotics or I try these fermented foods. I feel awful. Right. And the first two things that I think about are either SIBO and like you mm-hmm. said, bacterial overgrowth of the small intestine yep. or uh, possible histamine intolerance. Yes. And the and absolutely, and so you would absolutely want to wait on if on uh, incorporating those things toward the end once you've cleared the SIBO, and then you can actually then rebuild your gut. But yeah, it's exactly right. And so if you're not feeling well, it's not like it's bad for you. It is at that moment, but don't give up on it. Just try it later once you clear the SIBO. Dr. Carolyn, how can our listeners find out more about you? So I do have a website called myculturedlife.com. Um, they can they can check out the website. I'm on Instagram as well and Facebook. Um, but yeah, they can reach out, uh, message me if you have questions. I love to. I love this topic. I love helping people with their uh, making fermented foods in their kitchen as well as healing gut issues. So um, reach out to me as a resource. I'd love to chat. Dr. Carolyn, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has been a great interview. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. 
All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Dr. Carolyn Griffin. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next time for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carey is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carey is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carey.